You're listening to the Things I Think About podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to my podcast, The Things I Think About. Today's topic, I'm really excited to get into this conversation. I think it's a really important conversation. I think it's a conversation that a lot of Americans don't really think a lot about, although they should. I think part of the reason why they don't think about it is because of um, because of money <laughs> and because that money is uh, coming from China. And I think if you are one who pays close attention to the news media here uh, in the United States, you don't hear a lot of negative reports about China. Um, and I find that fascinating um, in a... Uh, uh, I find it fascinating. And I think a lot of Americans should find it more fascinating as to why we don't hear negative stories about China. I've said in other podcasts and I've said in other articles on my blog at jimstroud.com, how China has a strong influence in American interests. They've invested heavily in media companies, uh, which explains why you don't hear a lot of negative stories about China. But in addition to their strong and growing influence in American media, I want to start off this podcast by mentioning a few other stats that perhaps Americans are unaware of, uh, but um, no doubt my, my guests will, will know some of these. All right, so here's some stats. Now, I got these stats from a website called China Owns U.S., which has done a lot of research on this topic, and I strongly suggest you check them out, China Owns U.S. I'll leave a link to it in the podcast description. So here are just a few stats. China controls airtime on 15 radio stations in major American markets. 97%, that's 97% of opioid fentanyl comes from China. China owns more than 2,000 key American companies. China's Navy is 15% larger than the U.S. Navy. And China controls 97% of our antibiotics, which means if China were to cut off the United States uh, from from the medicine that they produce, hospitals would not be able to function because hospitals would not have any antibiotics. As um, interesting, and I use the word interesting, (laughs) well, maybe I should say scary, um, as those stats are, one of the things that really alarms me about China that America is either turning a blind eye to or just ignorant. Um, I think it's more so turning a blind eye because of all the money China invests in America. But um, there are a proliferation of slave camps in China, speaking about the Uyghurs. And I just find it so ironic how companies like Nike will give organizations like Black Lives Matter $40 million dollars uh, to protest social injustices, while at the same time having so many slave camps to make those Nikes nice and cheap. Yeah, I got to protect those profit margins, but I think I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to steal my guest thunder. Uh, speaking of guests, I see that uh, he has arrived. Hello, very important person. How are you? Hey, hi, Jim. How are you doing? Thank Tell you us. for your invitation. Yes, thanks for coming. Tell us, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Marcel, Marcel Kschana. It's a, a Polish name, but I'm, I'm German. I'm based in Germany. I'm, an, I'm a former correspondent who's stringing for German media. Uh, I'm a writer, so uh, no TV or radio. So I have some TV experience as well, but uh, I'm a writer basically. And uh, I'm a book writer as well. I'm still very much engaged with Chinese topics or with China topics in general. 
And uh, yeah, now I'm back in uh, Cologne after nine years in China. I had a detour to Spain for another four years and now for a year I'm back in Germany. And uh, well, I observed the development of, of China and international relations, China, European relations uh, closely from here. That's what I do now. Wow. Um, would you say that China is a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> no, I mean, you know what? When I entered China 2007, I was really unbiased. I had no clue about China because it was more or less of an accident running there because I always wanted to live abroad. And mm -hmm. I thought it was, would be a good idea to go there where the next Olympic Games take place because as a journalist, you need a market. And I thought, okay, I'm safe for a year and a half or two at least. Um, and then in my nine years experience and field reporting uh, and talking to a lot of people in China, uh, I really grew a feeling that I dislike authoritarian systems. I knew before I dislike authoritarian systems, but now I know why I do dislike them. So um, I think basically any dictatorship uh, is, is, the bad, is the bad guy in the world, basically. Uh, democracies have their flaws generally uh, or basically as well as I no doubt and uh, but they have mechanisms to balance it out and uh, they have free press to well, at least to make things better that all doesn't happen in the dictatorship so uh, no uh, a dictatorship is a bad guy definitely when you have dictatorships you have people that are oppressed is China at war with its own people as well as with other countries so to speak? Well, they would definitely deny that, right? To be on war. Rather, they say, we speak for the whole nation. We speak for 1.4 billion people. This is definitely not true. They are not on war with people who comply with the system. Mm. Uh, you can live a life in China that's pretty, well, pretty comfortable. If you make some money there, uh, I mean, the development is pretty modern. You have access to, uh, to all kinds of entertainment. Uh, you can travel if you like. So um, if you don't cross red lines of an authoritarian system, you are not, the system will not go on war with you. But if you cross a red line, and that can happen much quicker than you can imagine, you definitely uh, will be challenged to go on war. Uh, but you will lose that war as a, as a single person and even as a bigger group in China, because the party the system is so powerful and uh, they oppress every kind of dissent. So um, it is not a war against their own people, I'd say, but of course it's an, uh, uh, yes, they, they suppress people and uh, you can get into deep trouble when you cross the interests of the state. And you do that pretty easy. Uh, that starts in villages, uh, remote villages. They want to build the street and they crush down your house uh, and you want a fair compensation. Uh, you might run into trouble if uh, officials tell you no, uh, you're good. Um, and a lot of other things. Uh, and this makes it uh, very challenging um, at that point when you get into that conflict with the system, you probably reach a point where you have to ask yourself, okay, what am I doing? Do I still comply with the system or do I kind of um, uprise? Well, at least speak out. But if you speak out, the problem is that you get in danger very quick and not only you, but also your family. So uh, I think there's a lot of people in China who feel they are on war with the state, but they also know they basically 
don't have the, the weapons to fight on a level playing field. One of the ways I've noticed that China um, uh, controls their citizenry is through something called the social credit score. Um, I had learned about the social credit score in China probably a couple of years before they launched it because I, I saw a couple of alarming um, opinion pieces about it. And now that it's rolled out, uh, I'm seeing a lot of things here in the United States that are very similar to it. Um, what can you say about the Chinese social credit score from what you've noticed? Well, the states want us to believe or the Chinese people to believe that it is for, for, for their best at the end, um, for basically to, to stabilize uh, the financial system and benefit people or benefit companies uh, who do a good job for society. And as good as that sounds, it is also a mean for controlling people because you have a record, a personal record. Every person has it, every company has it. And if you turn bad on the party, for example, by just commenting uh, maybe a bit lightheaded on the internet, a bad thing on the, on the party, mm. um, that will be recorded. And that finally my funnel into uh, a negative score that ends up in restrictions in your personal mobility, uh, in your means to operate as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, all your private interests might be affected by it. So it's not only limited to, to, get a, to get a loan from a bank or something, but you can be stripped off of your civil rights, basically, if you, mm. are, if, you, if you have a negative or two negative credit scores. So people, of course, to avoid that, start to comply with the system. You can be punished or you can collect negative points if your dog poos on a public lawn, for example, if you cross a red light on the street. So um, people are getting more cautious in, in moving around and, and, and everything they do. And um, they're not free anymore in, in, in behaving themselves. Uh, a few years ago, it was a little different. You know, there was rather a, a space in China, in private space where people changed opinions uh, also on political things, they were less scared compared to today because now everybody can actually be someone who denounces you towards the authorities. And so the social credit system so is just the, the, the official records of your behavior in a country. And it makes people comply because out of, of fear to, to counter uh, repercussions and uh, it's you know driven by digital developments and technology and uh, it, it's, there's no way to elude it as a as a citizen and uh, it is a scenario that is scary to me as well i mean we are all tracked down by companies by private companies by the states um by our by our governments or by our uh by the authorities we are uh they're subject to and um, in China the level is different it, it, it comes to a level which is really really scary where people lose every personal space as I said on the internet 
take care what you comment, even if you just, you know, want to make a bad joke or whatever, just to relieve some anger or just to make a joke, you can end up uh, with a negative score and that might uh, funnel into, into more disadvantages yeah. for your personal life. Right. And they also attach your score uh, to people you associate with, your friends and your family, right? So yeah. if, if you have a low score and I'm associated with you and say we go out and have a, have a, a beer or something like that, um, and it's been proven that I have an association with you, if you have a low score, then that makes my score go down just because I'm friends with you, right? Right, right. Exactly. This is, you know, what happens is they isolating people, you know, because mm -hmm. people start thinking, whom do I meet? Uh, maybe it's not a good idea to meet these people because this guy recently said this on the internet. So it's much easier for, uh, for any state basically to control people's behavior when the people are isolated from other groups. So every gathering makes the state very nervous. Yeah. And the more you can isolate them from each other, the more control you have. And this is what's happening. Sure, sure. It's, it's very, very scary. Um, to switch gears just a little bit, uh, I mentioned a little earlier about how uh, Nike would uh, um, donate $40 million to, to Black Lives Matter to fight social justice. But, but on the same time, they uh, employ, <laughs> in air quotes, employ uh, slave camps, slaves at slave camps to manufacture their shoes. What can you tell me about the, uh, the Uyghurs um, and the slave camps in China? Well, the, the Uyghurs are a, a Muslim minority. Most of them are originated, or they are originated in the, in the northwest of the country, in the Xinjiang Autonomous Region. And um, they are, by ethnic, they are a Turk, uh, uh, a Turk people. They are not Han Chinese, so they are different ethnic. Um, and back in 2009, there were, there were an uprise in, in, the, in, the, in the capital of this province, uh, in, in, in Urumqi. Uh, several hundred deaths, and uh, ever since China labeled basically every Uyghur as a suspect for being a terrorist. Um, the thing is, uh, the control in, in, in Xinjiang is, is tighter than in other, much tighter uh, than in other provinces, uh, because out of, of fear that, you know, further terroristic attacks, separatism might, might, might blossom there or, um, and this also incorporates the, the control of the workforce of the people. Um, China tries to order the Beijing government relocates Han Chinese to Xinjiang on a, on a very large scale. Mm. So there is uh, I don't know the exact figures, but the rise of the Han Chinese population in this area has been growing uh, amazingly within the last years. And um, the Uyghurs claiming that their culture, their language, uh, their mobility, and uh, basically all their civil rights have been stripped off uh, because they are all suspected to be terrorists. Mm. And... Um, the Chinese government claims this is uh, not happening. We are, we are helping out. We are improving the situations of the Uyghurs, also by providing jobs, for example. So to make people um, 
what is the right word in English? I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, to make it more acceptable to to different people, make it socially acceptable. Not to, to make people. No, no. To make people be able to uh, to qualify. That's the word I'm using. I see. Okay. To qualify for jobs, they argue. Well, we have to educate them, right? Mm. First of all, they have to learn the language properly. Because mm. more and more uh, Han Chinese originated companies are going there. Also, foreign companies going there. Um, and people need to be qualified. So, what we're doing? Well, we educate them. And this is how they argue when they were actually exposed that they put people into these camps, which the Chinese government calls schools, mm. uh, vocational schools. And uh, they're teaching them officially like being qualified for the job market in China, which is more and more sophisticated because the technology is developing and you need to have better skills to, to catch up. Um, but in reality, what happens, this, this is what the Uyghurs say, what reports uh, say from uh, human rights organization. This is what uh, also um, satellite image actually expose uh, on that, that is what happens on a large scale. So eyewitnesses telling us what's going on there is, is a real tough re-education of your mindset, a brainwashing. Every Uyghur man in a certain age between 15 till 60 uh, is taken away from their families. Uh, also, some women are taken away and they need to stay there for a year, for one and a half years, for two years. Some come out again. Others never came out. Others are totally disappeared and they get a re-education. So they need to recite uh, slogans from the Chinese government. They need to, to, to learn fluently Mandarin and... Um, they are hammered in their heads all Chinese governments, all Chinese governments' uh, slogans and directives, and just to make people comply and go along with the system. And uh, wow. they were exposed by they were exposed by by, by research Western researchers. And finally, they gave after after in the beginning uh, denying the existence of these camps. They finally had to say, "Well, yeah, there are these camps, but they are schools." And so, step by step, um, researchers found out that uh, people are also um, uh, not only educated, but but rather uh, beaten up. There is rapes going on for, with women uh, being oh incarcerated. Mm. Uh, on a large scale, a lot of people disappear, and never come back. And uh, and uh, NGOs, Uyghur NGOs worldwide, uh, claiming and uh, that there is that there's massive human rights violations, not only violations but human rights crimes going on. And it seems that uh, well, more and more, actually, there is uh, the belief taking hold that. The reports are true and China is not just educating the people for better opportunities on the job market. That is, uh, wow, beyond scary. I, wow, I'm having trouble figuring out the right word to say it's <laughs> that kind of thing. As uh, horrendous as that is, as horrible as that is, 
is that just typical of Chinese uh, totalitarian methods? I mean, what's their history of human rights? Is this like just is this uh, unusual for them to do this, or do they have a long history of this type of thing? Uh, you know, I mean, as of course you have a long history in China with going back to Mao, Mao, Mao Zedong, the the state founder in 1949. Hmm. Uh, he is basically responsible for tens of millions, uh, tens of millions of, of, of deaths in China hmm. uh, by a very very harsh system of denouncing and a very totalitarian um, steering of, of the politics, which uh, actually motivated anyone remind the, uh, the, the, the cultural revo revolution starting in 96, when, when daughters, and sons, uh, daughters and sons started to denounce their parents for being anti-revolutionists. Anti mm. And so there is this history, of course, uh, but ever since uh, Mao was dead, there was this opening up and uh, reform policy um, inspired by Deng Xiaoping. And in the decades to come, especially in the 1980s, there was that, there was that sentiment of, of, of liberation. Uh, there were open discussions about new political systems in China. Newspapers started to report or... To, to have opinion pieces on democratic developments in China. And we all know how that ended up in 1989 with the massacre on the Tiananmen Square, where we still don't know how many, how many people uh, died in that night or during these days. Um, ever since China was starting to, 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 to promote its own image, to improve its own image in the world. And uh, it became, of course, um, interesting for a lot of foreign investors because it's a big market, you have a great working force. Um, labor costs very low, um, but that general character, this, this distinctive uh, character of this authoritarian system never changed. So any kind of, any kind of challenge is responded in China by the system with great power, with if necessary, with violence and brutality. And if they fear for the whole thing to collapse, for them, is every, every mean is right to use to avoid the collapse of the system. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing. And this is the sustainability of the power monopoly of this mm. Communist Party. Mm. in the country and I always you know as I said I was I was not biased when I went there but all the stories I heard all the people I talked to all the comparison from official line to reality I I encountered in the field reporting I realized that that this country or this this, this regime is actually consists of a lot of criminal mafia style gangs who took this country for themselves for their for their own for their own purposes mm -hmm. and to squeeze it because the most rich people yes you have some really rich entrepreneurs in china but 
the big share of the really rich people are the top level functions, uh, officials of the Communist Party. So um, it has mafia-like structures in this regime. Uh, different cliques are fighting for the power. Uh, they, they balance out their power. They agree on who is in charge and top level um, because they, are, they still share the same interest, the power of the party and keep our interests, our personal interests um, to benefit from it. And such a regime is generally prepared to use everything they need. Force, violence, brutality, um, yes, it happens. There's a lot of people in China, let me, let me point that out, that are not that way. You know, it's not that, it, it's, we're not talking about the Chinese people. We're talking about the Chinese government, about a regime that takes this country hostage for 75 years uh, or 70 years. And um, they are prepared to use every kind of violence necessary to keep their power. Yeah, to your point, um, I've heard of a lot of underground uh, Christian churches in China that the government def definitely does not like and how they are um, persecuting a lot of the, of the underground churches there. So um, I have he I've heard what you said from other sources as well, that the Chinese government is really totalitarian. It's like a mafia, like you said, um, but that's not the Chinese people per se. So you have to look at the, the leadership. Um, and I guess in a way you sort of have to look at China from two different viewpoints. The okay. viewpoint of the uh, dictators in charge and the viewpoint uh, viewpoints of the people in China who are trying to stay uh, under the radar <laughs> of their of their leaders and live a normal life as best they can, and um, and even that even if that means that they go to church uh, underground, it's um I wonder do you think that and I, I guess it's China's really biggest fear that the people will say they've had enough and they will commence an uprising like we're seeing now in in France and, and in Germany against the COVID lockdowns for example, do you think that um, a Chinese rebellion of the people will inevitably overturn the dictators? Or do you think fear will abound? I don't think that happens anytime soon. Um, as I say, there's a lot of people going along with the system. They benefit from it. You have a middle class mm. um, that, that makes some money and that live a better life than like 20, 30, 40 years their parents did. And um, these people are not necessarily wanting to overtopple the, 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 regime, the regime right now. They, they enjoy the stability and they are confident in their personal development. So I think for now, as long as the Chinese government is able to produce growth and with growth, with, with economic growth, they, they produce wealth, um, they will have, they still have the power, the power grip, but such a system is so authoritarian, authoritarian systems are, are very, very prone um, to, to, to little things that bring this balance 
into, into shivering, into shaking, much mm -hmm. more than democracies. They can't take these big hits as democracies can because we are, we are used to it. We have, we have mechanisms to, to balance these things out. In China, it's a very, very fine line um, because under the surface, Chinese people know very well that they are not free and they also uh, desire for freedom. They do. I met a lot of people in China telling me, although not knowing about democracy, they don't have an idea of democracy. Simple people, low education level. When they were in trouble with the government, what they were asking for was, I want to, I want to, I want to say what I, I want to cry out. I want to scream out what I have to say. I want justice. I want, I want everybody to know. I want, I want to blame people. So basically civil rights, they are asking for the same rights that we, you in the US, we in Europe enjoy civil rights in a, uh, in a, in a, in a rule of law, system of rule of law. Hmm. So basically the desire is, is, is there. As long as the people are happy, a lot of them wouldn't challenge the state. But if this structure comes into, comes into, into disbalance, uh, very, uh, very easily, a lot of people would gather from different, from different kind of interests, from the, from the grassroots level, who, when they see, oh, this kind of group of people is complaining or fighting the government right now on this and this, well, basically I'm unhappy with the things going on here as well, although it might be something different, another topic, you know? So, and this is the great threat for such a system that people suddenly gather and, and become a very strong force. Uh, so this is why they are so sensitive when it comes to control, that they're so scared of any kind of dissent. This is why they are so uh, strict in censoring the media, the internet and everything. Because everything that is just where a lot of people start to share the same mindset, the state is afraid of being challenged and then immediately go in between and fight this. And so you make a lot of people unhappy. So even the even the happy people uh, or the, the, let's say the content people who, well, you know, have their daily stuff, but they're not in trouble with the state so they can go along. They have, they have a future goal. Uh, they think, okay, I, have, I can have a happy life uh, or at least um, I'm trying to have it. They still can become a threat for the system. When people start to develop new ideas on society, on personal development, like Tuan Ping, I think you know what that means, right? This uh, development of lying flat. Yes. Mm -hmm. When young people start to say, no, you know what? I don't want this anymore. It's too hard. I don't want to work this 12 hours a day, six days a week. What I want is I want to relax. I want to have my time. And what I would regard as a good development for, or a normal development. I mean, young people in the US and in Europe do that. They take their time out after school, after graduating, have a break, take a deep breath before you go into their work, uh, into your working life. Right. You, have that, you have that development in China and immediately the state censors it. 
although it is a normal development in, an, in, an, in a state where industrialization takes hold, but it is the fear that too many people share the same mindset and become a power that challenges the state. And this is in a lot of aspects, actually the same mechanisms that's happening. You paint a uh, really good picture of how the state uh, wants to stay in control of its people um, at all costs by whatever means they deem necessary. I'm curious as to their reaction to when they are challenged abroad. I'm thinking about uh, two U.S. presidents, uh, our former president, Donald Trump, and, how, and his stance against China, and, and our present-day president, Biden, and how he is dealing with China. From your perspective, how has China looked at or how does China regard regarded President Trump and how do they presently regard President Biden? I only can tell you about Trump, basically. Um, I remember that um, the Chinese side, a lot of Chinese people were, were not unhappy with Trump because they feel that, they, that he weakens America and that he, for example, uh, by also uh, aggravating the Europeans or getting in uh, with, with all his allies, uh, doing his own thing and focusing on industrial sectors in the US or whatever. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of people in China appreciated that. They thought like, oh, that's a good opportunity for us. If the Western world is not unified, oh, this is good for China. And indeed, I mean, China is very smart. The leadership is very smart in, in uh, utilizing all these gaps opening up. Um, of course, I mean, he was reported uh, with, with, with this certain kind of, uh, of laughter about him, about his, the way he, he, he performed in certain things, about his not knowing about details, about his way of doing politics, basically. A lot right. of people, I think, encountered him with, with, with a laughter, with joy, making fun out of him. Mm. Um, because he wasn't a typical politician and made fun of him. Exactly, saying. exactly. Right. Okay. Um, still, um, his stance on China, actually in his late presidency, um, sanctionizing Chinese, uh, Chinese tech companies and so, um, of course that impressed the Chinese people kind of, because they feel like, oh, oh yeah, look, uh, we're getting in trouble with the US because I mean, as, as much as the uh, Chinese leadership tells us they, they are able to, to sustain the system by themselves, um, a decoupling would be all right for China. Um, they are not interested in this because they still need support from Western world. And uh, with the United States that cuts off their technology sector, the Chinese industry gets into trouble, definitely. So uh, they were torn about him basically, but, uh, but uh, I think they, they enjoyed seeing that the Western world fell apart or the allies fell apart and lost their, 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 their unified power towards China. So uh, I can't tell you detail how, um, how their stance is on Biden right now, but seeing the development with Biden that uh, the European, the EU and, and, and the US 
the NATO, uh, the alliances getting closer again. Um, I think the Chinese people know that um, a strong, strong Western world is a much bigger challenge for them. So, um, yeah, see, I think they sorry. see the West. They see the West as stronger under Biden than they did under Trump. In your opinion? I mean, this is, we will see how, how the West develops his, his unified position for, or if they, do, if they develop a unified position on China. Okay. I think then China, then, then the West is stronger towards China than it was under Trump. Uh, but uh, we're just one year into presidency, not even that. So, yeah. Uh, half year. So, uh, uh, We'll see how how it goes on. It's it's, it's hard to predict to me. To, to sure, be sure, sure. Um, something else I've noticed about China: they seem to have an obsession with Taiwan. Um, oh yeah. Ex- explain it to me. Why? Oh, yeah, Taiwan, Taiwan is a. Well, I mean, uh, the thing about Taiwan is, I mean, the U.S. is present. The Japanese are present. So. Uh, U.S. military is close to the Chinese borders. Japanese military is close to the border. This is one thing. So from a military point of view. Mm. But from a society point of view or from a political point of view, imagine there is a, you have a nation of 1.4 billion people to control. What do you tell them? You tell them you need strong leadership. If you don't have the leadership, everything falls apart and you will end up in chaos. You are Chinese. Democracy is not the right thing for you guys. Self-determination, not the right thing for you guys. So now you have the same ethnic in Taiwan, much less people, of course, just a little more than 20 million. But they demonstrate how easily a Chinese, un-Chinese society is able to build up a proper democratic society. So they are the role model for a lot of Chinese people, or they could be the role model for a lot of Chinese people who might come up with the idea, well, why do they tell us we're not able to live in democracy? Look at Taiwan, they can do it, so we can do it. So there's a lot of fear that, you know, this perception takes hold in the mainland and, this is one of the reasons, or a very good reason, why the Chinese government wants to reunify with, with Taiwan as soon, as quick as possible, and take control. They claim it is uh, Chinese territory. The history behind it, it was when there was the civil war, you had the Kuomintang party, which uh, lost with the nationalists who controlled China, and her were defeat. They, the, 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 they were the official government of China. And they were beaten by the communists in the civil war. And the official government of China flew to Taiwan. And then the communists said, well, we take hold or we, we, uh, we take in control of mainland China and Taiwan is part of it. While the nationalists say, no, what we actually were the uh, entitled government of mainland China and we flew to Taiwan and you don't have the right uh, to incorporate it. We're not part of your concept of the People's Republic. We are the Republic of Taiwan or the Republic of China. So this is the historical background. 
And yeah, as I said, uh, it's a great challenge um, for for the uh, a great challenge for the party to not make Chinese people believe that they are able to to run a democracy by themselves. They rather may want them to believe. No, we need control. Do you know you know Jackie Chan, right? Oh Our yes. Control, oh yeah, you know? big fan, big fan. And he said, believe me, in two thousand nine already, he said, um, he said, I don't believe that the Chinese. Uh, people are able to to live in freedom. We shouldn't live in freedom, because look at the look at uh, look at the traffic. What we're doing when we are just left alone by a coordinated control, a strict control. We do what we want. Uh, he, by the way, just a few weeks ago, he just uh, claimed in front of the Film Association China. He claimed uh, that he wants to be a party member because he admires the party so um, so much. Really. Yeah, he did say so because he um, uh, he said because he said the party says things, she does things, uh, she executes in such a quick time, much quicker than than any party elsewhere in the world. So why does Jackie Chan do it? And there we are actually back to the interests of Western. Well, I mean, Jackie is from Hong Kong, but um, uh, I think he lives in the U.S., right? But yeah. from people making money in China. A lot of people just comply and go along with the official line to not interfere with their own interests. Jackie Chan makes a lot of money in China with his movies, with his uh, film production, with the uh, sure. cinema chain he has. And uh, so he's a good example for uh, someone who grew up in a democratic society in Hong Kong. And now he's turning the opposite and even saying the Chinese people should be controlled by, by one power. Um, wow. Wow. So uh, China's influence over the world comes down to money. <laughs> a lot it, of times. Yes. Yes. It, it comes. I mean, well, you know, they have a lot of money. So what they, they, do they use? They, they use the money. This is yeah. very, very, uh, actually a very simple pattern. And you find everywhere in the world, you find too many people who just give away step by step, a bit of their own freedom, a mm. bit of their own integrity, just to not lose their interests. You know, we have, you remember, uh, uh, I, I don't know, but the, 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 the boss of the German Volkswagen uh, enterprise, uh, Volkswagen. Yeah, Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. Volkswagen, Herbert Dies. He was, he was interviewed just one and a half years ago when the first reports, well, or clear evidence came up that in, in Xinjiang, the Uyghur people were incarcerated. And he was asked by a reporter, uh, because Volkswagen set up a, a factory in Xinjiang, and he was asked if he knew about the concentration camps, what he called it. Mm. And the boss of Volkswagen, the biggest car maker, or maybe after Toyota's the second bigger, whatever, worldwide, he said, no, I hadn't heard about it. And he said, the reporter said, you haven't heard about the concentration camps in Xinjiang? And he looked in the camera and said, like, shaking his head. No, I'm not aware what you're talking about. Wow. You know, I mean, this is like really shameful to listen to this. But you see what kind of kotow Western companies sometimes do. Western companies or companies from, from also from, from other, uh, from Japan or from South Korea, or whatever, companies that have interest in China what kotel they are prepared to do, just not uh, to threat their own interests. 
And then they argue us, they tell us, you know, they tell us that it's about your, it's about your safety, your wealth at home. Yes, true. It is about our safe, uh, our wealth at home as well. If our companies don't make money, I understand that we're going or facing a hard time. But this is exactly where we are at that point now in history. Are we prepared to defend our freedom, our values towards this kind of system wants to tell us how to behave, what to say, um, and what is the best thing for us? Or are we, are, we are, we, are, we, are we prepared to say no? We are prepared to, to face this kind of, well, I don't want to call it a hardship, but this kind of suffering from that, uh, from that stance we take towards China. We are at that point right now. We have to decide if we want this or this. And China will not stop it. They will go on and go on and go on. And they will drag us more and more into, into their sphere and into their, basically, into their, into their will and power. It's their good, they are entitled to do so. It's about us if we are so stupid to comply with it or not. And it looks like tides are changing. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of awareness rising, especially after or with COVID coming. Um, uh, and with Hong Kong and with Xinjiang, the developments there. So with the Uyghurs, with the Uyghurs and the stripping off of the civil rights and the destroying of democracy in Hong Kong, there has been growing a great wariness in Western countries, including the US towards China. Um, so I hope that the Western world, or let's call it everyone, I don't want to call it the Western world, it sounds so political, but everyone in the world who is interested in a, in a, in a democratic liberal society that people are waking up and that we have to pay a price, an economical price, if we want to defend these values and our freedom. And I'm, I'm, I just can uh, appeal to everyone, um, be prepared to, to pay your share. I, I know it sounds, it, sounds, it sounds much easier than it finally is. And I'm maybe better off than a lot of people worldwide uh, who, um, who don't have the privileges I had with my education and stuff. I understand that. But at the end of the day, our children, yours, mine, we will, they will suffer from that. I, I am convinced that if we don't give it a stop, the Chinese government will start to tell your government, to tell my government, you know what? We don't like the reports in your newspapers because they saying, or oh, we don't like demonstrations in front of our embassies. Let it be in 10, 15 or 20 years. They will start to interfere in our internal politics, in our civil rights, because they threat us, that they take away our freedom to, to operate in China. Your companies will be, will, will, will be hurt if you're not complying to our wishes. And in 20 years, if we go on this, this path, China will tell our governments what in our newspapers has to be published and, read and whatnot. And I'm convinced of that. That is a very sobering prediction that I hope uh, most people, I hope all people listening to you right now will, will take to heart. Marcel, this has been a thoroughly intriguing conversation. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. If someone wanted to hear more from you, how could they find you, your, your website, your books, that kind of thing? How can they reach out to you? Uh, I've written a book, which is just on China, which is just in German. So you probably can't read it. <laughs> it's, it's a pity. Uh, no, I have a podcast, which is uh, um, uh, which I talk with a, with a Chinese origin friend. She's a German citizen now, but she's a uh, Chinese origin. 
and we're talking about uh, um, developments in China. Um, I think we're not as popular as you are so far, but we're working on it. We keep going. And it's called Poking with Chopsticks. And uh, you can hear it on Anchor and on iTunes and stuff and everywhere. So great, great, great. I'll, um, I'll link to it in the podcast description to make it easier for people, people to find you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Marcel, again, thank you. Thank you. A thousand times. Thank you. you, you thank your you. words were very much appreciated. I uh, appreciate your invitation. It was great fun to talk to you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. Drop me an email. I can be reached at Jim Stroud. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D at jimstroud.com. So, until next time, bye-bye.